just get honest with the people around you. And it doesn't matter if you have one person in your support system or 50. It's like all it takes is just one person to open up to and start receiving that love and that support because breakups can become really isolating if, if we allow them to. Welcome back everyone to Diary of an Empath. So today's guest, I'm super excited. Her name is Kendra Allen. She's also known as your breakup bestie on Instagram. She's known for her solid breakup and healing advice. She helps individuals heal from the inside out with a successful social media platform, amazing courses that she teaches. And she also runs her own podcast called Heal Your Heartbreak, which you're killing it in the game and the podcast game, by the way. I was checking out your podcast. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. That was such a nice intro. You you deserve it. I was checking out your <laughs> podcast before we started and I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, she's really killing it in the game. Um, under the relationships category, you're really doing amazing. So anybody who wants to check out the podcast, I'm definitely going to link that as well because I, I was checking out some of the episodes like this is some really, really good stuff. So tell me a little bit about your background and and how did you get into this area of expertise and and what you do now? Yeah, it's so funny. I, I always joke like, you know, in college, I never envisioned myself running like a breakup platform online. I've always been in one capacity or another in the coaching space. When I was first in college, I was in more of the wellness space. So I worked with like in the fitness space, uh, coaching fitness classes and doing nutrition coaching and wellness coaching. And I actually had a corporate wellness company doing that. And then when I was 21, so like nine years ago, I got sober and ended up in my mid-20s getting more into that space where I was doing like sobriety coaching and and working in that kind of space. So I've always had – I've always loved coaching other people and I've always loved like putting together curriculums and, and things like that, like putting together information for people. And, you know, I ended up going through a really bad breakup in 2015 – and I'm just someone that loves soaking in information. If ever something's wrong with me, I would love for people to give me like a 10-step list of things that I can do to feel better. So when I went through the breakup, I turned to Google. of like, what do I do? Like there's just – and I just started picking up on this fact that there's, there's not really a lot of step-by-step information on how to go through a breakup. It was, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that was out there was very outdated. If there was like the, he's just not that into you kind of stuff. And these right. like, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Exactly. Yeah. Like the nineties, early two thousands kind of advice or these like archaic dating rules. And, and it, it wasn't something that I pursued right away. It was just something that kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And so what I did was I just turned into a sponge with the people around me. And I just start like, if anyone told me, oh, you should read this book, I would immediately order the book, read the book. You know, I've always been in therapy. So I really started addressing it in therapy. There were like women in my life that I knew had gone through breakups recently. I asked them if I could get coffee with them and just started like hearing their stories of what they did. So I just kind of became the guide of what to do for a breakup just because I just am willing to try anything. And what I started noticing was friends then started coming to me when they went through breakups or even when their friends went through breakups and they would say, oh, can you talk to so-and-so? 
what would you advise for this? And I started realizing like it, there is, there's just not a lot of help out there. If, you know, say someone wanted to lose weight, there's a thousand programs they could enroll in. If someone wanted to get in better shape, there's a thousand programs they could enroll in, but there really wasn't anything out there for breakups. And so I started the Instagram account at the end of 2017 and so many times thought it was quote unquote, like a dumb idea just because there was no one else doing it. So I thought like, it can't be this, like this big of an idea can't be something that's like not addressed. It must not be working for a reason. And so I started this Instagram account and just started writing. I love writing. So I started writing blog posts and it just, you know, people loved it and people really gravitated towards it. I started really finding my voice in this space, which I think is, which I think is important I really decided that I was never going to cheapen my advice where like I'm not an get your ex back kind of a coach. I've always stuck to like my guns with the advice. And, you know, I think that's why Breakup Bessie has done really well is because I've always stayed really true to myself and my own and the advice that I give is stuff that I've done. And then this community really like just grew up through Instagram and then the podcast and, you know, my, I have a Facebook group and private coaching and all the things. And it's just really evolved from there. It sounds like you've always kind of been a healer. Like that's what I hear you say. Like when I hear you talk about your coaching and the fact that you've done things in fitness, that you've helped people with your own sobriety, it kind of feels like the common denominator I keep hearing is that you're a healer. And as healers, sometimes we attract some really toxic people and toxic relationships. And I know there's a lot of people listening right now that is like, yeah, I'm a good person, but I attract a lot of shitty people in my life. And you're right. A lot lot of people, they want like a step step guide, like tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. So for those that are listening right now and they're like, I'm going through this or I went through this and they're navigating this breakup, where, where does someone start when they're going through a breakup? How do you even start that navigation of healing? It's interesting, like thinking, you know, the title of your podcast and I, you know, I'm definitely an empath. I think that's why I fell into the place of wanting to help other people because, you know, that's like a trend right now is like my toxic trait is. Um, but I, I'm i so much more comfortable helping other people than I am helping myself. And that's something that I've really had to work through on my own. And I have attracted very toxic people into my life. I think the beginning of going through a breakup, it's different for everyone. But I will say the like the advice that I always start off with is – getting support from other people, your friends, your family. And I know I get, you know, some pushback on that when people say like, I don't feel like I have anyone in my life. Or maybe you were in a relationship, which a lot of toxic relationships tend to be where you lost a lot of your friends because you put that person first. And I will still give that advice of like, ask your friends for help. I don't care if you haven't talked to them in six months. Like this is not the time there's like a saying in the recovery space, like it's better to save your ass than it is to save your face. And it's so much better to like make those calls and send a text and just say like, I'm really struggling. I really need help. Um, This is not the time to, you know, do the thing that empaths sometimes do where it's like, I just got broken up with, how's your day going? You know, like that's not the time to do that. That's the time to say, I'm really struggling. I don't know what to do. I can't get out of bed. Um, I haven't eaten in a couple of days. Like get, just get honest with the people around you. And it doesn't matter if you have one person in your support system or 
50. It's like all it takes is just one person to open up to and start receiving that love and that support because breakups can become really isolating if if we allow them to. Yeah. And I think a lot of breakups, when you're going through that, it can mimic clinical depression. And you mentioned something that really stood out to me, which was, you know, sometimes in relationships, especially when we're navigating getting out of toxic relationships, they oftentimes are very isolating, especially when you're dealing with a narcissist or somebody who's abusive. They isolate you from the people that you love. And there's those feelings of guilt There are those feelings of shame with, well, how do I explain myself? I'm ashamed of who I become. I have ashamed that I have limited myself from my family and my friends and the people that I love. They're not going to want to hear from me. They're not going to want to talk to me. And so it's that level of what do I do from here? And I think that you made an excellent point with that because that can be really hard to navigate and try to mend those relationships. But I think you're right. Oftentimes you'd be surprised that the people who truly love you will likely open their their self up right back to you. The people who really matter and who are really important in your life are not going to shut that door. So even if you can find that one friend, I know for me, I had one really, really close friend. I've been friends with her for like 17 years and I was in a very, very toxic and narcissistic abusive relationship for a long time. And navigating and leaving that relationship, I felt extremely isolated from everyone that I knew. But she was that one person that was no matter what, she's like, well, you know what? These were your choices. These were your decisions. There's some type of lesson for you to learn. I'm here for you. And I'm still friends with her till this day. But it, I don't think she really realizes how much she impacted me at that time. She's probably going to listen to this and and you know, no, she's, she's such a dear, dear friend, but I think you're right. You really need to just kind of focus on navigating back into those relationships. I hear a lot of people tell me sometimes that they don't know what's normal and what's not normal because they feel like they're the only ones going through this. And I think a lot of times we are the main characters in our own stories, right? But we forget that other people oftentimes go through the same things that we do. And we forget that some things are really normal to go through. So I know that this is probably something that's come up for you. So what do you say is normal to go through a breakup if you want to call it normal? And what's maybe something that you need to maybe seek therapy or get extra help? Yeah, I love this question because I'd say the majority of my DMs are filled with, is this normal? Like dot, dot, dot kind of thing. I get asked that a lot. So I would say two things. The first is I really caution people. Like I always chuckle to myself when I get DMs where people will say, I love all your advice, but my breakup is so different. And I'm like, you know, I get it. It's important to honor your experience and it's important to process what went on. But there is a, I believe there's a danger in believing you're different because you're less likely to take advice. You're more likely to to feel lonely. And at the end of the day, I could line up 5,000 people going through a breakup. And there are 5,000 different stories as to what caused the breakup, what was the relationship like. But if I asked you what you were feeling and what you were experiencing post-breakup, I could really categorize it into like less than 10 things because the experience is very universal. So I do tell people that like, be really cautious if you find yourself saying, but I'm different. But you know, when someone gives you advice and you say, but 
that's that doesn't apply to me. So I do think that's I always like to bring that point up. When it comes to what's normal, it's most everything's normal. Most every feeling that you're experiencing is something that someone else is going through. Again, like I said, there's so many different circumstances that cause breakups, but you know, the feeling shameful, hating your ex's guts, but would love to hear from them and see them again. That's normal. To feel completely crushed, but also kind of relieved. That's normal. Like all these opposing emotions are very normal. Whatever you feel towards your ex, even if you are coming out of a narcissistic relationship where it's clear as day writings on the wall that your ex was not a good person, except you miss them and would take them back if the, if you could, that's also normal. So there are very few situations where I will say that is abnormal. What I will say is there's a difference between what's normal and what's necessary. So someone will say, it's been over a year I'm still not over my ex. Is that normal? And I will say it's normal in the fact that a lot of people do feel that way. Is it necessary? Probably not. Like there's probably something that you're missing in your healing journey that's keeping you stuck a year later. But it doesn't mean that you're abnormal. It just means that you're probably missing something in in this like grand puzzle that we call the healing process. I think too, depending on where you're at in life, right? How have you managed your coping strategies? Are you in your 20s? Have you had life experience? Do you have a good support system? There's so many outlying factors that stem into this, into this puzzle of, of life and how we navigate relationships and how we navigate breakups. I know that when I went through my breakup, I was in my 20s. I didn't have a huge support system. I was navigating life outside of the military. I was so alone and I was the main character in my own story. And in my head, I'm like, there's no one else that's going through this because I'm the main character and my feelings are all that matters because I just didn't have enough experience to understand that there's a lot of other people that are going through the same exact thing. This is nothing special. Yes, it's valid, but you're not the only one. But I think too that as I got older and started learning better coping strategies and better coping mechanisms, I was able to get past situations a lot quicker as opposed to hanging on to them. Not that it was a bad thing, but it took me a lot longer before because I just didn't have those coping strategies because I just needed to learn those lessons. But had I have not gone through those things before, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today with the coping strategies that I have. One thing you mentioned that I am guilty for in the past, and a lot of my clients are guilty for, is texting the ex. When you're feeling lonely, should you text the ex? And if you feel that urge to contact your ex, what do you do? By the way, like everything I talk about, I am guilty of. Everything I tell people not to do, like I've, I've done. So I always like to point that out. But if anyone has listened to my podcast, they've heard this story before, but this is the story that I always give in terms of texting your ex. So when I went through that bad breakup in 2015, it was two weeks before my ex's birthday and having every intention to send a happy birthday text to him and, you know, just say like, Hey, happy birthday. I don't even know exactly. Like I can't even remember the exact text, but I wanted to say happy birthday. And it was one of those things where I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, where you call as many friends as you can until you get like, that's a good idea response. <laughs> like just waiting for that one person to co-sign your bad idea. And so I was doing those rounds. I was calling around and I had a 
a male friend actually, you know, tell me, he said, let's say you send the text. What's the response you'd be happy with? Like, what's the only response you'd be happy with? And he was right. There like really only was one good response that I would feel better about. And it was, thank you so much for texting me. I've been thinking about you the last couple of weeks. I think we've, I think I made a mistake. Like, do you want to get together? I miss you so much. Something along those lines. And I said, I think that's what I would like. Obviously, that's what I would like back. And he said, what do you think he'll say back? Honestly, he'll probably say, thanks or like, thanks, hope you're doing well, or maybe not even reply at all. And I realized if I got that back, how crushed would I be? And so honestly, the the reason not to text your ex is because it's never going to line up with the expectations that you have that you would like. And it will 97, 98, 99% of the time leave you feeling worse than before you sent the text. But Obviously, you have things you want to say to your ex, and you don't want those to just sit inside you. So I'm a big fan of writing out things you want to say to your ex and either texting them to a friend. And it's so funny. I actually, on my time hop, I think today, um, I had like a mentor that I sent the happy birthday text to my ex to her and she like replied as my ex in like this really funny way. So send the text to your friends, write it on a piece of paper burn the piece of paper, shred the piece of paper. Like I I don't care what you do. It's important to get the words out of your system, but it's just not good to send to your ex. I agree. My wise friend, Fee, that I told you about, she, man, I cannot tell you how many messages or pre-written messages, version one, version two, and version three that I have sent her. And, you know, she always would make a good point. You sometimes will break your own heart if you continue to do the same things. I always really took that to heart because oftentimes I think that we do have expectations when we do stuff like that. We're not just doing it to be a nice person. No, we have expectations. And oftentimes they're not, people are going to disappoint us and people will always show you who they are. You have to see them for who they are in the moment and who they're showing you. If they're telling you one thing, believe it. I would always hold people onto this pedestal of who I hope that they would become or going back to who they were before in the past. And I have to remind myself that people are going to show you exactly who they are in the moment and they're going to let you know, but you just have to be open to seeing it. Another thing that I, I get a lot is about infidelity. When people are going through a breakup and their partner cheated on them, that can be such a big blow to self-esteem, to the ego. How does somebody navigate a breakup when they were cheated on? What I will say is like whatever feelings come up around that are valid. Like you're allowed to feel betrayed. You're allowed to feel all the things that come with it. Once you can like get through that initial hump of the feelings that come up with that, I tend to think the same thing with like ghosting. I think it's really just the universe like showing you this is not who you're supposed to be with. Obviously, that's not a fun way to find out, but it really is not personal against you. And even Esther Perel, who I'm, you know, I'm sure you know about, but she talks with cheating. She talked to a bunch of people that had cheated in their relationships and like ask, and I can't remember the exact findings of it, but generally it was they cheated because of something that was missing within themselves. They were trying to find another version of themselves when they cheated. They were not cheating because the per- their you know, girlfriend wasn't hot enough or, you know, didn't 
whatever that was, it's it's because they're feeling so low about themselves that they go outside the relationship. And so to me, yes, it's devastating and yes, it causes trust issues and there's so many things that come along with it. But at the end of the day, like it's the universe showing you this is not who you're supposed to be with. Yeah, I agree. I think too, you know, it's it's really hard to navigate those types of things in this generation of social media and everything going on with, you know, we see these perfect bodies, these perfect filters. Oh, what if I'm not good enough? What if I don't look good enough? But one thing I've learned is that it's it's never truly about you. When people do stuff like that, when they hurt you, when they lie to you, when they do other things that are unethical, it's always about them. It has something to do with them and their ethical dilemmas, maybe how they grew up, maybe their insecurities. It's never about you. And that was something that it took me a long time to like come to a realization with because I've been cheated on. I've come into contact with not just sexual relationships and intimate relationships, but even friendships where I've I always feel like I'm the person giving more or doing more. And I'm always the person that kind of gets shitted on or taken advantage of. And I had to get to a place. And even I would really say like during this last two years with COVID that it's really not about me because the one thing that has stayed consistent is me and how I treat people. So I think that as long as you try to do the right thing with people and you're consistent with who you are, you didn't change in the relationship. Now, don't get me wrong because people do change, whether it's growth or whatever. But if as long as you are doing the things that you need to do that are in alignment with your morals and your ethics and the other person's, it's not you. It's it's always having to something to do with maybe, you know, their inner child that needs to be healed or something they're going through. And I know for me, one thing I always had a big, big problem with was getting closure. Like I wanted the apology. And my friend Fee, I bring her up again, but she would always ask me, so what happens if you get that? It, it, are you going to feel better? Is it going to change the situation? And I would think to myself, I'm like, well, no, it's not going to change what happened. She's like, so why do you need the apology? Why do you need that person to apologize for you to move on? Because you're giving them that control over you. You're still giving them so much of your energy. And if you don't ever get the apology, they're always going to have a little bit of control over you. So what do you say to people who are yearning for that apology or they can't move on without the apology? Yeah, I think we as human beings, not even just in breakups, but we we really like to have like things boxed up, things with a bow on it. We want closure. And, and it's all, it, you said it, it all comes down to a sense of control over the situation. I tend to see that for people who really get stuck on closure, it's either because they don't want to get over their ex and they're using this as kind of their thing to hang on to. Like, well, I would if I, you know, if I would get the apology or I would find out exactly what happened or they want to know exactly why the breakup happened because they would kind of like to argue their case. Like they don't want to be broken up and so they want to argue with their ex. And what I tell people is the thing that you're hoping closure will achieve you will never get it from your ex. You will only get it from yourself. You will get to a place mm. where either you've you've gotten enough distance and hindsight's twenty twenty, where you can look back and be like, oh, okay, I see. I get it. Like I get why they had to do what they had to do. I get why this relationship had to end. Or you get to a place where you're like, 
I still don't exactly know why the relationship ended. However, I know that I'm not supposed to be in that relationship anymore. And I'm and I know that I'm better for the relationship ending. But I believe everyone gets to that point if they allow themselves to. So I always say like you give yourself closure. That's that's what it comes down to. When it comes to apologies, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. Sometimes I like to remind people that I think if you got the apology for your ex, it would actually make it a lot harder to get over them. Um, I know sometimes it, you want to feel like vindicated and you want to know like you want to feel like they know how much they hurt you. I get that a lot. Can I let my ex know how much they hurt me? And I say, you could, but I I don't think it's going to do anything for you. Again, it's like comes down to expectations. So it's also important to remember that if you get an apology for your from your ex, or even if you hear from your ex, sometimes people say like, I can't believe I haven't heard from my ex. And I'll tell you like, it's a gift that you're not hearing from them because it would make this whole situation way harder. And sometimes they pop back up when you least expect it. It can be two years later. I've had I have had men pop up years later. I'm like, what in the holy hell is going on today? Like, it must be a full moon. Like, not tonight. The devil is out tonight. You are not. I don't know what the hell is happening. But sometimes they pop back up. So what if they do pop back up? And let's say, you know, it's been a long time and you get the urge to like, you know, maybe just a physical encounter is okay. Is it okay? I don't know. Personally, I don't think so because I agree. Yeah. The, and I remember when I went through that breakup, I I got to this place where and I will say like it wasn't anything unhealthy, but I got to a place where I was like I would really like a situation like a friends with benefits kind of a thing where I still wanted to be single, but I just craved that part of companionship. And there was a guy that like an ex of mine who I asked my friends, I was like, well, what about him? Like, I'm so comfortable with him. And they were like, no, you're, there's no way that you can have a physical interaction with an ex and not have the feelings come up. It's just, I think it's like pretty darn impossible to not have something come up and have old feelings arise and all of those things. So no, no, I'm so with you on that. But, you know, I think it depends on the person. Like if you can separate your emotions and your feelings and you're good at that, okay, you know, do you, you know, if that works for you, I cannot separate them. And so for me, like if I'm having sex with somebody or if I'm intimate with someone, it's because there's already some type of feelings or interest there. Once those feelings are gone for me, there's no going back. And I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty grossed out with all of my exes. <laughs> So yeah. I don't think I would. But for me, it's more of like when I'm done, I'm done. If you hurt me, like there's no going back for me. But I think that maybe, I don't know, in some instances, it could potentially be somewhat safe, but you would have to have really, really good boundaries. And I've even seen people that, you know, they've stayed friends with their exes. I, I personally... I just haven't, I guess I haven't really dated the most greatest people in my past. So there's no need to stay friends except for, you know, me co-parenting and we're better friends now than we ever were before. But I've seen some people that are able to navigate that. And so what do you think about being friends with the ex and how do you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I'm the same as you. I've never been able to stay friends with exes it's really hard for me to picture a situation where you're in love with someone on a Tuesday and then on a Thursday, you can just call them a friend. To me, I don't see that happening. We don't have an off switch for romantic feelings with someone. If you were the person that like ended it and you've been thinking about ending the relationship for a while, like maybe you've already rationalized that in your head. But 
I just really don't see it happening. And I ask people, I say, if you really want to know if you can be friends with an ex, if they called you tomorrow and said, I'm so excited. I have this date on Saturday. What do you think I should wear? Where do you think I should take this person? If you can hear that news and not have anything happen, like no registering on the emotion scale, sure, then you can be friends with your ex. But like, I don't know. That's that's really hard. Yeah. Like that takes years to get to a place mm-hmm. where you can hear about an ex. I had one client and she was like, I'm not going to be friends with my ex until I could get their wedding invitation in the mail and not care. And I'm like, that's a great, you know, that's a great point. And that's it's not an easy place to get to. So I just don't, I yeah. think it's really hard. And my thing has always been, I have amazing people in my life. I have great friends. Like I don't need someone that comes with a lot of other stuff if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And like I've seen people who have stayed friends with their ex and even if they're not romantically involved, it has been the thing that has blocked them from finding someone new because there's mm-hmm. still there's still like this energy that's being invested in them and it's been the thing that like doesn't create space for someone new. This, yes, I agree. I could not date somebody who is super close with their ex to me. It's a little weird because I feel like if you're friends with an ex – I feel like there's always one person that still kind of has those feelings that are lingering more than the other. So like, it's like, what if you don't have children together, what is that energetic connection that is still kind of keeping you guys? It's almost kind of like either like this karmic connection or this like toxicity that's still kind of lingering. So to me, that's personally something I cannot get with. And I will personally not date somebody who has a connection with their ex still if you do not have children. So I love that you said it can prevent you from creating space for other people. And I just talked about this on a a podcast that for me, I am trying to remove everybody who doesn't serve my highest good because if you have a room full of all of these toxic people in your life or these toxic relationships or these situationships, you're not creating space for healthy people to come in the room with you. You're you're keeping all that space with people who don't serve your highest good. So you got to create that space. And if that means letting go, if that means giving yourself closure, if that means walking away, you need to do that. And there was a podcast episode I was listening of yours that you were talking about being okay with being single. And I really loved that episode because it spoke to kind of where I'm at right now in my life with, I, it's not that I want to be single. I'm, I'm open to energy coming in romantically, but I'm okay with being single, but it took me years to get to this point and a lot of work and a lot of self-awareness for my own habits and things that didn't just disappear. They still come up. My anxious attachment style still tends to creep up here and there. And I have to like say, okay, you're being a little on the anxious side right now. You got to kind of dial it back a little bit. But that took me a long time to get to that point to navigate that. And I'm okay with being single right now. But I loved how you were just talking about being okay with being by yourself. Being okay single is it's a I think it's an important topic because I am someone that has an anxious attachment style. I am someone who used to spend oh countless hours of energy in even like the beginning stages of dating, just like obsessing over the tone of someone's text or um, like what I typed back to them. 
I really didn't feel like I could be okay just being myself. Like I didn't even know who myself was. There's just I spent so much time like in masks in relationships and like feeling like I was walking on eggshells because I just wasn't okay by myself. And so I think I'm so passionate about it because I've been there. And now I'm in this relationship where I feel so secure. I don't second guess myself, but it's only because I know that if something were to happen in this relationship, I would be fine. Like I know that I could return to being single and I've been there before. I've gotten comfortable there. And like, mind you, I I don't, you know, God forbid anything happened to my marriage. I wouldn't necessarily want that. But like, I just, I have, there's, there's a freedom that comes with being okay single. I think that's like the biggest thing is the, is the freedom that you can experience either single or in relationships. I think for me, I had to find my identity again. I went through a divorce and then I went through a breakup after that divorce. And I felt like I lost who I was. I I wouldn't even say I lost. I never knew who I was. I had to find out who's Carice, like what makes me me and what is my identity. And I started going to the gym. I said, you know what? I want to help others. I became a social worker. And then, you know, things just kind of unraveled for me. And now you ask anyone today who knows me, who's Carice? Oh, she's a social worker. She's a psychic intuitive. She's a podcaster. She does bodybuilding at the gym. She's a mom. She travels. I have all of these things that are part of my identity. And I think that's what made me strong. And I think that empowered me and kind of gave me this like self-awareness of who I am. And that's why I'm okay with being single because I know who I am today. Now, 10 years ago, when I was 25, 26, you know, in my even late 20s, I didn't know who the fuck I was. I had no idea. I just knew, okay, yeah, I'm a mom. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm me. But what does that mean? Like, who am I outside of this relationship? And I think that's probably part of the reason why I was in all these toxic situations because I would latch on to these other people who were just fucking toxic. And I had an attachment style that was very anxious. And just like you, I would overthink even dating. I would, oh my God, they text me this way. They put it, they put a period. What does that mean? Or they didn't text me in the last five hours. Are they not interested in me? Are they ghosting me? They only sent me one sentence. Are they being short with me? What did I do? What did I say? Like I literally, those are the types of ruminations that would go through my head. And I had to literally just like stop. Who am I? What do I want? And those things still kind of creep up sometimes. But I think now because I'm so secure with like knowing who I am and knowing what I want, I can deal with being single so much better. And it's actually kind of empowering sometimes. It sucks sometimes, but it's empowering. Yeah. And I think it's actually, I um, I interview listeners on my podcast too. And I was just interviewing someone the other day and we were just talking about like, and this has been coming up a lot for me lately when I've been talking about like, if you just put your highest priority to be in a relationship, top priority, I just need to be in a relationship it's crazy the things that you will let slide. It's crazy the things of yourself that you will let fall, pieces of your character that drop off. If you make that your top priority, you will probably get it, but like at what cost, you know? Exactly, exactly. So when someone's navigating all of these things, I know there's people listening right now, and when can you say, okay, it's time to start dating again? 
when, when is it good to get back into the market? Because I see a lot of people, I'm not going to lie, even in my own friend groups on social media and just, you know, in general, they hop from one relationship to the other and no judgment because I know every situation is different, but it happens a lot. People are afraid to be alone and they jump from one thing to another. And I'm like, damn, I can't even find a date. Like, <laughs> so, you know, what, what is a good time to, to wait or to get back into the dating field after you've gone through a breakup? I don't have like a time frame because you talked about in the beginning when you go through a breakup, there's just so many factors of like, did this trigger your childhood trauma? Did this trigger your relationship with your parents? Like there's just so many deep seated issues that can come out of a breakup. So in terms of when is it okay to start dating again? The thing I say is like, if you're dating to add value to your life instead of to mask or make up for the pain that you're in then I think it's like good. If if you see dating as a value add instead of like a Band-Aid on a gaping wound, if yeah, if you're trying to like slap a Band-Aid on a gaping wound with dating, not a good idea. There is like this myth that you don't get over your ex until you're in a new relationship, which I 1000% do not believe to be true at all. And I actually Same. find that you know, part of the reason my breakup in 2015 was so bad was because I never process through my other breakups. So I went through like four breakups at one time. And that's typically what happens. If you don't process your breakup, it doesn't just like magically float away. It just gets suppressed, suppressed, suppressed. And then it comes out at some point and very unpredictably, which I don't think anyone wants. So I'd say if you, and another like test I give people, if you picture going on your first date and you picture it going horribly like it's the worst date you've ever been on is it something that you can like laugh about with your friends and be like oh my god that was the worst date or are you like I'm doomed I'm never gonna find someone ever again like if you can you approach it as like kind of fun and exciting and I'll just see what's out there or are you approaching it like I have a mission to find someone so I can feel better about myself again then it's not a good idea to start yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of people avoid having to process the feelings because as as humans, we don't like feeling bad. We don't like feeling shitty. So we do things to avoid feeling shitty. And so if that means, well, I can avoid feeling like crap and I'm just going to do other things to cope and not really actually deal with the trauma and not deal with the traits that I have that maybe I'm contributing to some of these toxic relationships and situations and not work on myself, then you're going to find yourself in these same situations over and over and over again. And one thing that I, I talk about often too, especially for those who are empaths, you do have to be careful because you are going to attract people that need to be healed because we do like to help people. We like to fix people. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to help, but at what cost? You have to have really good boundaries with other people. And boundary setting is not just for other people, but it's for yourself. Like I have to set boundaries with myself all the time to say like, okay, well, no, if this person's not going to make this effort, this is where I draw the line. These are my standards. And if you're not going to meet these standards, well, poof, be gone. You know, we're 2022, we're not going to keep this shit up. We're done, right? But I think that when you have those boundaries with yourself and you're upholding them for yourself and kind of giving yourself that self-love and working on yourself, I agree. I think that's at, at that point, maybe you can say, okay, I'm ready to bring that energy because if not, people are going to match your energy. And if you're vibrating low, if you're at a lower frequency, if if you're kind of going through this like, you know, toxicity within your own energy, you're going to attract people that are the same way. So 
I, I agree. And so what advice would you give to your younger self? Because you have I just, I'm very proud of you. I don't know you and I'm so proud of you for like just kind of how far you've come. I know you said that you got sober and you created this platform with helping other people and now you're happily married. So I feel like that's such, a, such an amazing journey. And I know a lot of people are listening now that are like, okay, well, if she can get through the stuff that she went through, then maybe there's hope for me. So what advice would you give to your younger self or, or what is something that you wish somebody would have told you when you were going through all of that before? I mean, as, as corny as it sounds, I think I would say, like, I would just remind my younger self, like, that things always work out. They're always going to work out, and you don't need to to rush things. Like, you know, when I got sober, there were, like, so many things that I wanted fixed right away, and I think we reach – the deepest levels of growth, not from like these big acts, but from like the day-to-day consistency, if that makes sense. Like, yes, it's great to go to therapy and do like these, you know, kind of deep dive things. But I think the biggest growth just comes from like consistently treating yourself well. I always say this joke that I thought I'd be like struck by self-esteem one day. I really thought that like when I just got older, like when I turned 30, I would just be struck with self-esteem. And I thought that one day I would just wake up and be okay with myself. And like, that's, that's not how it happened. Like self-esteem came from the fact that like, I started making my bed and like taking care of my space and calling my mom when I said I was going to call my mom and showing up for my friends when I had plans and like all these like little kind of things collectively come together to, you know, create the things that you want. And it's same with like being single. I remember I had a mentor tell me she she's married and she would say, please enjoy this time single because I promise you one day it's going to be gone and you're going to miss it. And it's true. And like, you know, I can say this in front of my husband. Obviously, I like being married, but I miss the days when I could do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted without having to like talk to anyone about it, you know? So I think I would just tell myself like not to rush and just to like have faith in the small things that you're doing every day and things are things are always going to work themselves out. That's great advice because I think we get so caught up in the future and what the future looks like and I need to be here and I need to accomplish A, B, and C to be happy. But when we get to that point, then are we looking back and saying, okay, now I need to be doing this, this, and that to be happy. And then 20 years has passed by. And did you really enjoy the moment? Not a lot of people are good at being present in our generation. So I, I think that that's great advice. And and thank you, because I'm going to remind myself, like, enjoy being single. I think I'm going to go book a trip after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go to no, Vegas you can book something. a trip wherever you want and like not have, you know, not have to worry about that. And like, I have, I have a good friend that met her husband sitting next to him on a plane. So it happens, you know, and I just think too, like, I just wish I could like instill that in everyone, especially like if you're listening and you're going through a breakup, I know it feels like these feelings are never going to leave. Like it, it just, it's, it's so hard to see past this breakup and it's so hard to like ever picture yourself feeling okay. But I promise I've never met anyone who has done the work and not gotten over a breakup. Like it just, it's always, it's always going to work out. 
I, I appreciate that. And I know everybody listening does too. And so I want everyone listening to be able to follow you. So what are you up to these days? What's your Instagram account? I know you do some courses. So I want everyone to be able to look you up right now and, and get in contact with you. And how can they do that? Yeah. So the best place to find me is on Instagram. I'm at your breakup bestie. And that's you can find all my courses there. Yeah. So I do have four different courses. And then I also have if you're someone that's having a hard time not reaching out to your ex, I have a 30 day no contact challenge that's really helpful for people. Um, and then you can find my podcast on there, which is heal your heartbreak. And yeah, but Instagram is the best place. And I post five days a week on there. So I'm, I'm pretty active on there. And I think you have a free journal too, a free workbook that I saw too, which I think is really interesting. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to link everything for everyone to find you or to get in contact with you if they need to. Uh, Thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. I appreciate you and I'm so humbled for you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. And until next time, everyone, see you on the next episode of Diary of an Empath. 